The dawn of civilization. Primitive. Dangerous. Exciting. The handwriting is on the wall. If the human race is ever going to amount to anything, it needs... The most civilized caveman I have ever seen. Ah. Come out of his cave. So coming from our collective caves to your dank dwellings, it's Matt here from Cave Dweller Music. And what is the one thing that ties all metal fans together? You know, it is our love of beer, but also patches. And I'm pretty sure everyone has a battle jacket or a vest. I'll have a chat to our guest about that because that's something that I do want to get to the bottom of. Uh, but joining us today, we've got Simon from Pull the Plug. First and foremost, I appreciate you taking the time out and having a chat to us. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Now, I did mention it briefly there, and this is something that's been plaguing me for ages. Um, I ran a zine a little while back, and I was having a chat to a few of the guys that I know that are in a thrash band, and, you know, just trying to work out what they've got lined up uh, in the near future. I was like, what do you guys have up the sleeves of your battle jacket? And the response kind of surprised me, and I've been umming and ahhing about it ever since. The guys were like, Dude, what the fuck are you talking about? Battle jackets don't have sleeves. Being the being the the doyen of patches, shall we say? What are your thoughts on that? Do battle jackets or battle vests have sleeves? Can you go the sleeveless one? Where the leather jackets fit into that? I reckon we can start from there and uh, see what we reckon. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess uh, I guess technically a battle vest doesn't have sleeves, but a a battle jacket would. I mean, for me, there's no rules, right? Whatever. It, you see all kinds of things. There's some uh, hilarious pictures of people who have put back patches onto a Hawaiian shirt, for example. And it's just, you know, I, I mean, if that's what, uh, if that what, if that's what makes you tick, then go for it, right? Whatever, whatever people want to do. I just think there's no real rule, rules to it. Um, if you love it and, and you want to rock it, then go for it. I have seen people do the Hawaiian shirt. That's a good one. Flannelette shirts are another one that I've seen with people in the back yeah. patches. So, and jeans. Yeah. What is with like cross punkers and putting like patches on their jeans? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you can put them anywhere, right? I, I haven't done a pair of pants. I've got a pair of shorts that's got patches all over it, but I've never, I've never done pants. Uh, I've got so many patches now. I'm thinking, you know, the only thing I could do with them all is, uh, make a big quilt or something. So that's probably my next major project at some point is I'll do a battle quilt. That's a good way of doing it. I That brought something back into my mind that I hadn't thought about for ages. A mate of mine was going to do that except with band shirts. Like he was just going to cut off yeah. the sleeves and make a giant quilt out of all this like different assortment of um, of band shirts. Yeah, nice. All right, yeah, so it's a good idea. <laughs> oh, I mean, like, and how many patches do you reckon you've got lying around at the moment? Obviously, you've got the entire, like, storeroom of Pull the Plug. But personally, yeah. how many do you reckon you've got lying around in uh, just in storage? Yeah, oh, I, I don't know. I mean, I keep I keep a few of everything that we make. And I think we're up at around, I don't know, over, probably over 800 maybe 900 patches that we've made at this point. So I've just got tons of them. And then there's ones that we didn't make that I was collecting before I started making them. So most of those ones have ended up on a vest at some point, but uh, yeah. And I mean, since we start started making them ourselves, I don't, 
I mean, I don't really buy them anymore. I just make them and then I have them sort of thing. So I've kind of, I, I guess that makes my wife happy that I'm not uh, spending money on, on patches myself anymore. But uh, yeah, I've got too many to even know what to do with at this point. But I'm, I'm just so addicted to them. I just love them. So, and it's super fun to make them. So I just keep rocking them out. Well, the other thing as well, you're now making money from patches rather than spending money on them. So ultimately yeah. you're coming up, you're coming up tops no matter how you look at it. Yeah, I guess it's a, it's a trade-off. I mean, yeah, I've got one of my vests is uh, it's all vintage. So it's all nineties uh, death metal patches. And I, I made that maybe, I don't know, four or five years ago now. And like, even then some of those vintage patches weren't cheap to make. Right. So that vest is, I don't know, probably worth a small, what a small car would cost basically. So yeah, I guess maybe I'm breaking even at this point, who knows? <laughs> well, let's actually get into pull the plug itself. You guys started in 2018 uh, out of Newcastle and you've got around, I think you've got four people in the crew now, including yourself. So how do yep. you get started in making patches you said you've been you know collecting patches even before this started was this just kind of a moment where you went oh there's you know this old patch that i haven't seen floating around for a while i'm gonna make it myself and then it went from there yeah yeah basically i mean i uh i i, I was i have a um a bolt thrower tribute jacket and the, I think the first patch that I ever made was like trying to fill that jacket out because I couldn't find you know I bought every bolt thrower patch that I could find sort of thing and then it was like ah oh, my jacket's not full enough what am I going to do and somebody gave me the name of a, a manufacturer and I thought okay I'll give it a whirl and and see how it goes and uh, yeah so I mean that was the first that was before pull the plug patches obviously and it was just a bootleg that I made for myself and you know there are a few copies extra so I gave those to friends and, and sold a few off whatever um, and then just from there it was kind of thinking oh yeah this is pretty fun to actually make them and um, it, it just kind of grew organically initially um, I mean starting pull the plug patches it was kind of like well if I'm going to do this if I'm going to make a bunch of patches um, might as well give it a name sort of thing and obviously you've got death on your vest there and uh, pull the plug you know off of the album leprosy leprosy was the first death metal album I ever bought I think it was about 12 or 13 years old and uh, yeah fell in love with death metal from there and uh, yeah the story behind you know, wanting to make patches was I wanted to make an all old school death metal vest. Of, so I have the, the vintage one, but I was making one with newer patches as well. Right. And it was once again, you know, just thinking uh, the, the stuff that I wanted on my vest wasn't available. So bands like Ill Disposed and uh, Sickening Gore and um, Asphyx were some of the first uh, patches that we made. And it was, I think there were 16 of them in the first batch that we did. And it was all just stuff that I really wanted on my own vest and couldn't find anywhere. So uh, yeah, it was just connected with, it was actually, I think the manufacturer who connected me with my uh, designer that I use now, uh, Robert, he does you know, 99% of our designs. We've got another guy, Chalo, who does the videos and 
uh, does a lot of the advertising and stuff for us, but uh, he does a few designs here and there as well, but mostly they're, they're done by Robert. And yeah, it was just, I mean, really sort of organic, just interested in the music, interested in having things for my own vest and, and it just kind of ballooned from there. You hear that story as well with a lot of people that make, you know, they make zines, they make stuff like what we're doing here at Cave Dweller. It's kind of sitting there and thinking like, well, fuck, man, like there's stuff that I want and I can't find it anywhere else. Yeah. You know, there's nothing really stopping you from going out and and making it or or doing it on your own. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that was the process. And um, of course, you know, at that point I thought, okay, if we're going to do this and I'm going to release these. So the minimum from the manufacturer was 50 copies. And, you know, I only need, I need one for my vest and I want one for my collection sort of thing. And uh, what am I going to do with the rest of them? Right. Give one to the designer, you know, give a few to a friends. And so I ended up selling the rest of them and uh, yeah, it was uh, you know, if you're going to do that, you might as well start a website and, and whatever, so people can find out about it. So it just really went from there. And um, yeah, just, I, I mean, I've been a, a death metal fan since, you know, almost as long as I can remember sort of thing. Again, leprosy was the first album I got. And I think I was, you know, 12 years old when that came out and remember seeing it on the store shelves. And, and I've just been, uh, I guess for some people, they say you grow out of that kind of music. I've had friends who say that, but for me, that's not the case, right? It's like, you know, I love the same stuff that I, that I listened to when I was 14 years old. And that's a really cool tie in as well. Something that um, I watched the little banger document, uh, banger TV um, part that you were in. And that's something that I noticed as well on the website as soon as I sort of noticed the difference between the two. All the patches that you guys have, be it ones that you've made previously, ones you've got coming up or ones that are out at the moment, you've got the link to the band so people can, like, go through and, you know, you can't check out much stuff in in the record store with all the lockdowns and everything. But you've got that link there where people can sort of trace through and find new bands. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's that's the main part of it, right? The patch is just a representation of the music itself. So it's the music that matters most. And it's, you know, half of the point of doing this is so people can discover new music or, I mean, most of it's not new either, right? It's old stuff that has been long forgotten about. And I guess, yeah, I mean, people could Google it easy enough if we just had the name on the website, but I know that people are generally lazy and it's much easier to just click a link. So I've just put it all in there. It took me quite a long time to uh, put the website together as it is now. Like, I think by the time we had a proper website, like we've got at this time, we had released at least 400 patches. So it was a matter of going back and, you know, uh, putting together 400 YouTube clips in, you know, embedding them in the page and whatever. So it took me a, a long, long time to get the, the website to where I want it to be. But I think it's worth it because it's, uh, yeah, I mean, now it's a resource for people. I, I mean, some of the patches are sold out, obviously, but that's, you know, it's still there where people can search through and, and go and check out new stuff all the time. And it goes back to the old thing. Like, I don't know about you, but I've lost count of the amount of bands that I've seen on someone's shirt at a gig or like on someone's patch at a gig. And yep. it just gets stuck in your head, especially if they've got like artwork that really pops, something that really catches your eye. And immediately you're like, 
that art's fantastic. I gotta go check this out as soon as possible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I guess the internet age, it's instant gratification, right? That's the the name of the game. I mean, back when I was first getting into music, it was tape trading. So everything was really slow, right? It was, uh, you know, the way that I found out about stuff, there was a magazine called Metal Maniacs that was published uh, in the US throughout the 90s and into the early 2000s. And that was like the main sort of resource. And beyond that, it was reading the liner notes of, bands that I had already had albums for and and seeing what other bands that they thanked. And that was kind of the, the slow process of finding things. And yeah, I mean, the occasional gig, I mean, I grew up in Northern British Columbia, pretty far away from any major gigs. Uh, Vancouver was an eight hour drive uh, oh. south. So I didn't get to, to that many shows, but yeah, I mean, you'd see, you know, people on the streets or whatever, and they'd have a shirt on and, oh yeah, that looks pretty cool. It's got neat artwork. So I'll maybe go and check that out. Right. But it, I guess back then it was a lot of risk, right? You'd buy a lot of albums that were clunkers and to find the gems. And now it's a lot easier, which is, I guess in some ways, you know, I have the nostalgia of the old way of doing things, but it's also a good thing that, you know, a lot more bands are able to get exposure uh, in ways that you couldn't before. So Oh, that's something that I'm always oddly nostalgic about, even though I haven't experienced that. I reckon the the excitement and sort of the almost like a little in-group of that whole tape trading scene and finding out new bands through there. Because like you said, it's instant gratification now, whereas yeah. before it sounds like, you know, you had to put in a little bit of legwork and there was a bit of a process to get to those new bands. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I want, you know, I guess I'm old school, so I like the way it used to be in that sense. But it's also, you know, there's so many bands myself that I wouldn't have discovered otherwise without the internet, right? And it's there's no there's no going back now. It's here to stay, and it is what it is. So I think it's generally overall a positive thing. Uh, I guess in the sense that uh, it's kind of dispersed interest in a way that we probably won't ever see a band like Metallica come up again. And it's kind of, you know, that, that stadium experience. I mean, you know, how are you going to get that in the future? Lamb of God, Slipknot maybe, but they're, you know, on the cusp of old school now themselves. Right. So um, yeah, I mean, I guess it makes it a bit more difficult because people's interests are focused in so many different areas, but from a you know purely from the perspective of being a fan of music it just means there's so much more to consume right there's so many uh, more cool bands that are out there and yeah they're never going to end up playing stadiums or whatever but uh, you're still going to get a lot of great albums and great music to listen to that's an interesting point you raise about metallica and like even lamb of god and slipknot on like the stadium end of things the internet's kind of shot everyone's attention in a whole bunch of different directions like there's no well it's going to be rarer that you find like one of those mainstay bands that sort of covers a whole bunch of different uh areas and sort of is more well obviously you're going to get more well-known ones than others but none that will sort of get that crossover potential to go on and do those large shows and I think you're right with like Metallica uh sorry with Lamb of God and Slipknot they're you know, they sort of came up early 2000s before the internet really took off. Yeah. And apart from that, I can't think of any other modern metal bands that would be able to go and do those, like, sold-out stadium shows like those ones would be able to. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, I suppose they're the last of that sort of era, I guess, that, uh, yeah, I can't think of any, you know, bands that have formed in the last 10 years, even, that would be at at that sort of level, right? And, yeah, I mean, I guess that, um, well, in, in some ways, you know, at least here in Australia, the idea of a stadium show is far off in the future. It's just not on the cards right now. I know things are going back to, to relative normal in the, in the U S and Canada and Europe. But um, yeah, I mean, it seems like a bit of a pipe dream to even get to a, a local show at this point for us, but uh, yeah, I mean, those big shows, I, I mean, there's something for them. You know, I've, I've seen Metallica at uh, I think the last time I saw them was uh 2016 at the um, GM place in, in Vancouver. I was still living in Canada at the time. And, you know, it's fun to go to great big shows like that, seeing Maiden always, you know, the big stage show that they put on. But I think there's something about small, you know, club shows as well that it's, uh, I think the very last show I saw before everything went to shit was obituary in, in Sydney. And it wasn't that big of a, a venue so it's you know it's nice to be a little bit up close and personal with with uh some of the bands i saw i hate god they played here in newcastle and you know maybe 70 people showed up to that which is just wild there i mean i love i hate god and to yeah you know, that's the they're fantastic coming. yeah so those those small shows there's something about those too i mean you know they i hate god they put on a great show for 70 people that were there right and lucky us kind of thing. Um, where did you go see that obituary show in Sydney? That was the um, the one they, was that the anniversary tour they did? Yeah, it was, they played uh, Cause of Death, the, the whole album. I can't remember the name of the venue. I'm bad at that sort of thing, remembering names. And I, I mean, I haven't been in, I haven't been in Newcastle that long. We only moved to Australia two and a half years ago. So, I, I mean, it was, you know, the country was all brand new to me and it seems like it's that was over a year ago now and the last year just seems like a blur. So I I, it's, it's, honestly, it's all sort of turned to shit. I thought I was real clever. I was living in um, far north Queensland for a while and I was like, I'm going to move back down uh, to southeast Queensland. It's going to be great. I'm going to see so many gigs. There's so much stuff that I want to go do. And then as soon as I move back, like, basically a week later everything shut down and the only gigs that I've been to was like a mate of mine played a little show on the side of a highway because he's in a folk punk band and like another one that I went and saw at a pub but it was really weird because you had to sit down for the show so like I don't know about you but I I can't wait till it all opens up again and then I got James, who runs Cave Dwelling with me, being like sending me all these messages because he lives in the States and he's like, I'm going to this gig, I'm going to this gig. I'm like, you absolute bastard. I've got nothing over here and you're spoiled for choice. Yeah. Yeah, we're paying for it now. I mean, we had, while, while the rest of the world was in a disaster sort of uh, scenario, we were all seemed very insulated over here and now Sydney's just gone absolutely bonkers with COVID. So, yeah, well, it's frustrating to see everyone else opening up and us just getting into the thick of it now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully hopefully we turn a corner soon and, and things start to improve. And, 
we can get back to life as usual as well. I want to get back to the website because um, one thing that I saw on there which was really cool was your 35 years of death metal. It hasn't been, I think you got up to like 2007 in the list, but like you said, you've been a fan of this since like 12, 13 when that death record come out. Was this just a way to sort of document all the great death metal records that came out for people checking out the website? Yeah, I mean, I've got to the end, so it is up to the year 2000. Uh, I, I posted it on our Facebook page, I don't know, maybe two years ago now. So I'm, I'm just, I've just been behind. I've been so busy with other things that I haven't been able to get regular updates. So you've reminded me now, I'm, I think the last one, yeah, 2007 was probably monstrosity or something was the last entry. And so I'll go, I'll try and update it this weekend to put up 2008 and, and 2009. And from there, I think uh, if I'm remembering bolt thrower, those once loyal would be my 2008 pick, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, for me, it was just, um, yeah, just, uh, I love lists as a, as a collector of music. I make lists all the time. Uh, something my wife makes fun of me for that there's a list for everything somewhere in the house. And it's usually on, on paper that I'm just scribbling down little things here and there, but yeah, just a way to document all the albums that, you know, my favorite albums over the years. And <clears throat> I guess to make it more challenging, I've, I've made the rule that, uh, only, you know, any given band can only appear once in the list. And, uh, and for, yeah, someone so that, for someone that made like an entire bolt thrower jacket, that'd be really hard not to have them on each year that they put out a record. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, for death as well, death is my all time favorite band. And it's like, you know, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna do a a list where one band is allowed more than once, well, there you've got seven entries from Death, and then maybe there'll be a few, you know, Bolt Thrower and a few other things in there. But it'd make for a more boring list, so I tried to make it a bit more challenging. And I mean, as I as I've been posting them, you know, I get the critiques. Oh, that's not the best album of this year, and whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, well, dude, make your own list, right? This is my list, and uh, it it wasn't that easy to make to you know to choose one band for each year i mean there's some you know i i think like deicide i don't get them in there until stench of redemption or something um and you know their debut album is pure fire in my opinion but i can't remember what i chose for 1990 it was maybe cause of death obituary i can't remember but there's you know in, obituary in was years, on the list yeah yeah, in some years it's like really thin. There's not, not that many great death metal releases. And in some years it's just like packed to the gills with great stuff, right? Like 1991, we, I don't know if you saw the tribute to that year. We did a, a shirt for that. But I mean, to me, that's the, the, the be all end all year for death metal. Basically every, you know, great album came out in that year. And how do you choose one album from 1991, right? To represent that a year that was the, you know, the high watermark for all of death metal, as far as I'm concerned. We just got to put it all in a t-shirt then. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we did. <laughs> now, the other thing that I did want to ask is like, we've been like sort of mentioning big bands here and there, but the amount of like massive bands that you've put out designs for, and they're all like, from what I can gather, official ones. Uh, yeah. Some of the bigger bands are a little bit more 
stringent, a bit strict in regards to uh, like intellectual property and copyright and that sort of stuff? Or do you just hit them yeah. up and be like, hey, we like this is a sick patch that we've done. Would you be cool with us putting it out? Like what's the process of getting the the tick of approval from like those bigger bands? Yeah, I mean, from the big bands, it's um, it's not easy. There's a lot of red tape behind the scenes. I mean, sometimes we, I mean, for example, Anthrax, we announced them a few months ago and I still haven't got a patch out yet. Um, it's just, there's a, a lot of red tape. In those cases, it's working through a licensor. So, you know, um, uh, I'm not in touch directly with Scott Ian or anything like that. It's working through a licensor. Uh, to to get the approvals and uh, there's just a lot of stages in between it's first you know convincing them I guess initially the first two really big bands we did was Maiden and Slayer and it was a matter of doing a pitch right like this is what we're all about this is the the kind of product that we produce this is why I think it'll sell this is the estimate of how many I think will sell Uh, what do you think right and the reason why these bigger bands work through licensing agents is that, um, and it's really hard to get in touch even with, you know, directly with their management. For mid-sized bands, you can get in touch with with their management, but for bigger bands, it's like, uh, you know, even the management, they don't want their contact information out there because they'd be getting, you know, unsolicited emails all the From time. everyone, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I had a guy message me saying, oh, I've got this great name for uh, if if Maiden does a retirement tour at some point, I've got a really great name for it. Could you pass it on to them? And it's like, dude, I'm not in touch with Bruce Dickinson. I'm not even in touch with management. I'm working through a licensing agent because, you know, as great as your name might be for the their farewell tour, uh, they probably don't want to hear it, right? Like they've got their own ideas and, and whatever. So it's convincing that licensing agent. And if they like the idea enough, then they'll pitch it to the band or pitch it to management. Management will pitch it to the band. And then, you know, then it gets to the design stage where we'll run some designs by them. Some get approved, some don't. Various reasons. Uh, some they want revisions on, that kind of thing. Uh, and then it goes to the sampling process. So that's, you know, if people are wondering why it's so slow with with smaller bands, you know, they're happy. They've seen the product that we've put out. They don't want, they don't necessarily need to see a sample before we release the final product. But a band like Metallica, they want to make sure that, you know, it's representing their their brand and band in such a way that it's not, um, you know, lowering the quality of what people have come to expect. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it just takes a, a lot of time and, and behind the scenes sort of work to get those things done. Um, for, I mean, when we started, e- yeah, everything we do is official. I mean, we don't do bootlegs. Uh, everything is on the up and up. And, uh, you know, for a lot of the smaller up and coming bands and for the first set of patches that we did for old school death metal bands from the 90s that most people had forgotten about, it's just a matter of getting t- in touch with the with the members themselves and, and, you know, seeing if they're interested kind of thing, that was the process. And I mean, it takes, uh, yeah, it might sound easy, but it's, yeah, it's a lot of work to, to keep up with, to be honest, that it consumes, you know, most of my free time is doing research on who, who is the person to contact. Um, and then, you know, coordinating all the, um, 
all the designs behind the scenes, getting th- making sure the timing is okay with manufacturing and, and getting it all ready, loading all the stuff up onto the website. I mean, all of it just is an inordinate amount of time to, to do. And then all the mailing, of course, as well, which uh, is now basically my wife's full-time job. Um, Marnie, she does all of the mailing herself now. And uh, yeah, I mean, we could, you know, w- without, without her support and without Chalo, who's doing the videos and, and some of the advertising stuff for us and Robert doing the designs, like it only works because there's a team of us doing it, basically. And you go through all that process and post it online for some idiot to be like, why why is this not hand sewn? Why is this why is this not hand woven? What have you gone and done? Well, I've seen well, the, yeah. I've seen the many is, uh, uh, go ahead. No, I was about to say, like I um I was chatting to one of the other guys and I was like, you know, I've I've got this chat lined up this afternoon. Is there anything you want me to ask them or, or put forward? And he goes, give him a bit of rope to to go off about the guys that are sitting there being like why is this not handwoven? This crazy intricate patch—it's—it's it's not handwoven. What are you doing? Yeah, the big—the big one that sort of gets to me is like uh, you know we go through all this work behind the scenes and um, we'll announce a patch and it's like okay we're super happy about it and. and uh, the first comment is like, oh, why'd you choose that album? Why didn't you choose a different album, right? And it's like, well, maybe that other one's coming, but this is what we're doing right now, right? And it's like, yeah, it's again that, you know, the age of instant gratification, people sort of expect everything all the time. And, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day and we, you know, I'm only awake for maybe 16 of those of those hours. And yeah, we can only do as much as we do sort of thing. We're Putting out, I think, uh, about 40, 45 designs a month. And I think that, I think at this point, it's fair to say that we probably released more patch designs than any other company in the history of the planet, right? At least for metal patches anyways. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we're we're busting our asses doing it and uh, hoping that people are happy with what we're doing. And it seems that the general consensus are people are pretty stoked. I mean, there's some bands that do really, really well and some that don't, and that's okay. I mean, for me, I, you know, I don't do a patch unless I support the band kind of thing. And um, if it, if it doesn't sell enough, enough copies to justify its existence, well, maybe uh, another band has done a few more and and we break even on that one. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the initial impetus for all of this was I wanted patches you know, that I could represent on my own vest. And uh, that's still the fundamental philosophy is, um, you know, eventually, I, as I said, I've just got mountains of patches sort of thing, but one day I'm going to make this quilt and one may, one day I'll make, you know, maybe when I'm retired, I'll make 50 vests or whatever out of all these patches that we've made. So. <laughs> and it seems like people are responding well, because uh, every couple of months you'll post a little update on Facebook and the shading on the map where Paul the Plug has gone is slowly just growing and growing. Like I think the most recent update, someone had picked it up in like the United Arab Emirates. And for yeah. a small knit crew of like four people in Newcastle, that must be some pretty mind-blowing stuff to think that someone, you know, over the other side of the world in a completely different time zone is rocking yeah. one of your your patches. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, all over the world. Africa is still, a, you know, a, a bit of a, a dark zone for us, I suppose. But we have sent patches there. I mean, Kenya and uh, uh, Morocco, we've sent patches to, South Africa. So it's not like Africa is not represented at all. There, ha there has been, you know, some countries where, where folks have bought patches there. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool every now and then. I think we're, you know, we've covered off all of the main sort of metal countries, Finland and Sweden and, and Norway and that sort of thing, obviously. But it took us a while in the U.S. to get North and South Dakota for whatever reason. I guess metal's not huge in those two states, but... Uh, I can't say I know enough about American geography to uh, to be able to work out that. But yeah, it just seems like two states out of 50-odd that you took a yeah. while to get uh must just be one of those weird things in the ether yeah <laughs> but yeah but we're i mean we're not all here in newcastle either we're actually an international crew uh Chalo is in melbourne but he's originally from colombia and robert our designer is uh based in romania and then the the manufacturer is in china and we're here in newcastle but i'm canadian my wife is kiwi and yeah so we're an international group to begin with <laughs> well, that's oh, it. Gives you a bit of a leg up on uh, being able to spread the the pull the plug patches empire across the world. Yeah, yeah, it's been fun to see it to see it grow and to see. I always get excited when we when we are able to cross off a new country. Uh, so I think one of the most recent ones, Vietnam. We finally got one there. I've got a guy in Mongolia who really wants to buy patches, but shipping from Australia to Mongolia is closed right now. So. I'm not able to do that for him, Damn. but hopefully that'll open up soon and we can cross Mongolia off as well. It's just one of those little things that you wouldn't think about until you get an order from there and you kind of have to sit there and try and work out the logistics of actually getting the yeah. stuff out to, yeah, a place like Mongolia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, last year was rough in terms of, you know, there was countless number of countries that Australia Post wasn't shipping to. So we had like you know, I've got a, a dresser in our spare bedroom that was just filled with envelopes that we couldn't send just waiting for shipping to, to open up again. So most of those have cleared now, thankfully, but there's still a few. I can't even remember what countries, um, maybe, maybe Ecuador or I don't know, somewhere in South America where there's a few that are still sitting in there that we haven't been able to send yet. But yeah, I mean, other other countries in South America have opened up. So Brazil, we can send to again, and Chile, we can send to. So it's better than it was last year, that's for sure. I realize we've gotten like half an hour in the interview, and I haven't actually mentioned like the the impetus or why we started this bit of a conversation. Anyway, you had a really big drop of patches uh, at the start of July. Could you talk us through some of the bands you've got on there? What ones um, you were really keen on making in particular? Which ones have been requested a whole bunch? From the July drop? From the July, just, unless there's a brand spanking new one that's come out and uh, I'm unaware of. Oh, uh, yeah, we've got, so it's hard for me to keep track of. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I mean, I'm, I've just opened up my spreadsheet so I can look at what we've been doing. Um so yeah, I mean, we, August isn't released yet. That'll probably be around the, the 12th to 15th, somewhere around there is the projection. I mean, people, that's one thing people always ask, like, uh, 
you know, why don't you announce the release date sooner? And it's like, as soon as I know myself, you know, kind of thing. And I don't want to announce it until we've actually got the patches in hand, because as we know, shipping in the world is pretty screwed at the moment. And, you know, there's all kinds of variables where things get stuck along the way, or sometimes we've had things that have been uh, uh, rerouted back to China because uh, someone else in the container that we've had our shipment in had something illegal in there. So every every single thing that's in that container has to go back to and the original. And that's like after shipment. you got them printed as well. Like you've said before, the sheer amount of like man hour that actually has to go into getting these designs off the ground to start off with. Yeah. And then getting to yeah. that point and it being sent back, you can't be like, oh, man, I can't win. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating, but, you know, 2020 has been the year of rolling with the punches for everyone, so we're kind of used to it by now, but, yeah, I mean, the, the emails that come in sometimes, you know, it gets, uh, it gets a bit frustrating when people, you know, didn't get the memo that uh, we're in a global pandemic and mail is slow and that kind of thing, so sometimes I get annoyed by that and I'll, I'll make a frustrated post on the page or whatever, but you know, most people are good about it. Um, in terms of the releases, I'm just looking at it now. And, uh, I guess last month, what did we do? Um, Oh, that controversial Barbados patch. That was, uh, I don't know if you saw that one. I did. They, uh, some very cleverly placed emojis on the advertising of that yeah. one. That's for sure. <laughs> My my wife was calling that one cheek spreader instead of bolt spreader. <laughs> that was her name for it. But uh, yeah, I thought that was uh, relatively amusing. Um, Arch Enemy, we, uh, Mike Amod has been great. I mean, that's one band that I'm able to have, you know, a bigger band where I've got direct contact with the, the band member themselves and uh, stoked to be able to do another Arch Enemy patch. We did Cypress Hill, which was a, a curveball, I, I think. Uh, you know, not for everyone, I suppose, but those of us who grew up in the in the you know early '90s, you couldn't avoid Cypress Hill, and uh, fun to be able to do that. That one kind of came uh, along with the Metallica deal in some ways. It's the same licensing agent there, oh, so cool. um, yeah, we just. You know, we saw them on the roster and just kind of thought, well, let's see if how people respond to this. And yeah, and I mean, the response once you're, was, once you're in that sort of fold and you see opportunities come up like that, you kind of have to think, well, I'm already in now. It might take me, yeah. you know, another three months to track down this licensing bloke. Why not yeah. give it a shot? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there, I mean, there was a few, a few different ones like uh, Within Temptation came in with that. I mean, they're not, um, you know, maybe not for everyone who's into hardcore death metal or whatever, but uh, I think the patch design was cool. And, uh, you know, some people appreciate symphonic metal. So we gave that a shot. We're going to be doing Epica. Uh, I think next month we've got an Epica patch coming out. So yeah, just trying to branch out a little bit. I mean, the core will always be death metal. That's, you know, that's what I'm most passionate about, but it's fun to do different things. Um just looking through, let's see, what else did we do? Uh, in human condition, um, I, I think they're, you know, one of the up and coming, obviously they've got uh, Terry Butler who has a long history of, uh, you know, being a death metal superstar, playing in death and obituary and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, an up and coming band, the guys from Gorgang in, in that band. And I, I think it's a super cool new album. So that was, I was stoked to do that. Um, 
uh, Motorhead. We did our first Motorhead patch last month. So that was cool. We've got more coming from them. Uh, a Nevermore, uh, a band that I think is just criminally overlooked, right? I think Nevermore is like one of the best metal bands in the history of the genre. And, you know, sadly, Warl Dane passed away a few years ago. Uh, and, you know, they broke up a few years before that. But I think just like an amazing, amazing band. So I'm stoked to to do, be able to do patches for them. Ragnarok, I mean, uh, breaking into a bit of the Norwegian black metal. People have been asking us for a long time. Why, I know. Why You've got a Dark Throne one coming out. You've got a Dark yeah. Throne one. I might have to buy another another vest for that because I saw that back yeah. patch and I was like, holy shit, man. I'm yeah. so keen. <laughs> Yeah, stoked to do to have a deal with them. I mean, that's pretty cool. We've got uh, a long-term deal with them, so we've got a couple of years worth of Dark Throne in store in store for people, uh, which is yeah, super cool. One of my favorite bands too. I mean, legendary band, right? In terms of um, uh, you know the black Norwegian black metal scene, and they were actually the first black metal band that I had ever heard. So I was way into death metal at the time, and it was. Um, a blaze in the northern sky a friend of mine had bought that album and uh we you know we thought it was just ridiculous at first like the 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 corpse paint never seen anything like it right i mean there was king diamond and he was doing his thing and that was the only person that was uh, even close to wearing that kind of face makeup and whatever and uh and then just hearing the music it was just like way over the top right totally different direction than most of you know, the entire death metal scene and what they were doing in terms of production and aesthetics and everything. And uh, yeah, I was, it just was uh, captivating for me at the time. And I got in, you know, Emperor, all those bands really got into that scene in the early nineties or mid nineties, I suppose as well. But uh, yeah, stoked to start doing some of those bands. We've got um, uh, Mayhem signed up now as well. And nice. uh, Marduk, some of the other, you know, classic uh black metal bands coming up as well um haven't been able to get emperor yet i mean i'm hoping that could be on the horizon at some point one of my all-time favorite bands but so far no dice on that one so do you Fingers have a, a, a like a laundry list of bands that you want to tick off by you know by the end of however long this runs for You've got, like, you've knocked over some pretty big names. Are there ones that you're sitting there scheming and plotting on how to, how to get them? Yeah, I mean, there's, we've got, we've got lots of things in the works. There's a few, there's a few that I haven't announced yet. A few signings that we've done. There's, uh, that I'm keeping a lid on for now. Um, uh, you know, really big bands kind of thing that uh, I think people will be hopefully excited about, but yeah, I mean, there's some that, you know, that I'd love to be able to do, but so far we haven't just haven't been able to make contact. I mean, Cannibal Corpse, we've tried and haven't been successful, but obviously, you know. When you look at your roster and go, Cannabis Corpse, it's close, but it's not, it's yeah. not quite there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my, my uh, wife's sister, she was, she said, oh, can you send me some patches? She's a metal fan as well. And she's like, okay, I want a Cannibal Corpse. And Marnie's like, well, we haven't done that yet. And she's like, Oh yeah, you have it. Says on your website, it's like. No, no, it's <laughs> but yeah, so Cannibal Corpse, I'd love to do. I mean, I'm, you know, fingers crossed. Maybe that'll happen at some point. Death, Morbid Angel, uh, you know, Obituary as well. Um, 
so some of the, you know, some of the biggest uh, deicide, some of the biggest names in death metal, we haven't been able to land yet, but we're working on it. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm always trying to, to figure out ways there's, you know, always more than one way to, to secure a license. It's not always necessarily directly through the band. You can sometimes find other avenues to do it, but uh, yeah, we, we try, we're working on it. <laughs> Slowly but surely. And like you said before, like the process of getting them, you don't always just be able to go through the band. You got to go through the licensing and then, by the time you end up announcing it, you know, a couple of months to a year could have passed. So it's yeah. just, yeah. and I know organizing interviews as well, occasionally you send emails off and they just get lost to the digital ether and you kind of go, oh, yeah. well, all, all you can do is, is follow up with them. You know, you've sort of done as much as you can at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, uh, I think, you know, one of, one of the most common stories for us. People will ask, oh, what about this band? What about that band? And it's like, yeah, I asked them. I tried, I tried, I tried. I never got a response. I mean, sometimes we get a flat no as well, which is fair enough. I mean, some bands, you know, maybe they don't like the patches. Maybe they uh, just want to do it themselves, whatever whatever reason they have. You know, some, some bands decline. Uh, for me, though, I, you know, I think it's a great promotional outlet. Um, you know, some ba- I guess Metallica doesn't need the promotion kind of thing. But for me, Metallica, you know, I grew up on Metallica. I, lo- I still love Metallica. And uh, for us to be able to do those, uh, you know, some people say, oh, that's sellout kind of thing. And I don't look at it like that. I look at it as a conduit to uh, getting people into heavier music, right? They might they might come to pull the plug, pull the plug patches initially to get a Metallica patch, but they'll look around on our website and we've got all those as we talked about before, all the links up to check out the music. Maybe they'll start checking out other things and get into uh, some of the other bands as well. So it works both ways. I mean, for the bigger bands, it's great to have them on the roster and the smaller bands as well because it provides exposure to them that maybe they wouldn't get. Um, uh, you know, otherwise kind of thing. I've had, I can't even count the number of times people have gotten in touch and said, oh, I discovered this band only because you made a patch and I thought the patch was really cool and wanted to get the patch, but, you know, couldn't do it unless I checked out the music first, checked out the music, it was awesome and bought the patch, right? So, yeah, I mean, those stories are the best when people are actually discovering the music and and connecting with it and the patch is just sort of a medium for for people to connect to the band so and it goes back yeah. to what you're saying before like you found out all the bands that you know from going to a record store checking it out looking at the liner notes seeing yeah. um seeing shirts seeing patches i guess it's just an updated version of that now with the with the benefit of being able to go online yeah. you know if someone comes in for a, a slayer or a metallica patch and they see yeah. Look, it's sold out, but my example is going to be that Wicked Blood Incantation one that you did a yeah. while back. And, like, they yeah. find out stuff through there, so it's it's just another avenue of doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I guess the way that, you know, there's still vinyl collectors and there's people who swear by tapes and, and you know, obviously people still buy CDs, but a lot of the way that music is consumed now is digitally, right? And uh, so we don't have that same sort of, uh, tangible physical object like we did in the past, right? Where you would have an LP and or a CD or whatever and be able to look at the liner notes, hold it in your hand or whatever. And I think in some ways, 
at least for some people, maybe the patch has replaced that, that that's their connection to the music, right? The music is still what matters most, obviously, but to have that, you know, physical uh, object in their hand and they can put it on their vest or whatever, that it's just that it, it makes it a more tangible thing for them, I suppose. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I've been really surprised at how successful this has been in terms of people's appetite for patches. And I always just kind of think, well, maybe tomorrow people will just forget about patches and decide they're not into them anymore. But I mean, every month that we release things, um, generally thing, you know, there's every now and then there's a band that doesn't sell that well, but most of the times things go, you know, super well. And, uh, yeah, it's been, yeah, I think it's just, a benefit all around the fans get something the bands get something out of it and you know if uh if we make a little bit of money on it on it as well you know for especially for my wife and the amount of hours that she puts into mailing everything out then you know it's a win-win-win all around i suppose and basically it's not a bad um it's not a bad result after making you know your own patch for a bolt for one you've kind of got you know you're sharing that joy with other people now yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess the next Holy Grail is being able to do official bolt thrower. I don't know if that'll ever happen. They don't. Uh, I mean, yeah. Find, finding official bolt thrower merch is like the, uh, you know, next to impossible at this point, especially since they're not a band anymore. But even when they were a band, I mean, there's the the legend of a bolt thrower t-shirt, right? That you could only get them at the shows and that sort of thing, that they were never available online or never through mail order or whatever. And um, I was, I'm fortunate. I've got a few official bolt thrower shows, uh, shirts that I've been able to get from shows. I never, I never had a chance to see them myself, but I had a buddy who, was able to get to see them and and uh, picked up some shirts for me. So it's nice to have some official uh, product from them, but it would be really cool if there could be new official product from them as well. And so, especially if it uh, especially if it comes out of your camp. And I don't know whether you've ever done this, but have you gone down the rabbit hole of vintage metal shirts on Etsy and just cried oh, yeah. how much they cost? Oh yeah, I can't do it. I I mean <laughs> I've got. I've got way more metal shirts than I need, but I could I could never justify spending that much money on vintage shirts. It's like, you know, and there's some great uh, you know, producers out there like Music Kados. They're doing they're doing new shirts now that, you know, are on par with the vintage stuff and f- for, you know, the old school bands as well. So, yeah, those are the shirts that I buy. You know, 25 bucks instead of 250 bucks is more my speed. <laughs> and I, like the most expensive one I, I ever saw, and it was a bolt thrower one as well. And I think it was like $350, $370. And he kind of just sitting there going like, oh, that's the coolest fuck shirt. But like, that's, yeah. you know, that's about a month's worth of rent right there. I can't, I can't justify yeah. that. Yeah, it's bonkers. I, I mean, I don't know who buys that stuff, right? Like Kanye West and 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 what you know, the Kardashians. Maybe that's it, right? You see them wearing the these metal shirts now. I mean, I don't know who can afford that kind of stuff. It's it's pretty bonkers. And but I, yeah, I guess with patches as well, some of the vintage patches now. Um, Robert, our designer, is telling me the other day that a Morbid Angel back patch, vintage back patch, was going for 350 euros. And that's just like, yeah, it's mind-boggling, right? I don't so, yeah, even who want knows, to think maybe, about the conversion rate on that one either. That's that's like close to 700 bucks right there. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's absolutely <clears throat> insane. Like, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all the, uh, that's basically all the questions and everything that I've uh, had lined up for you. Um, you've said you've got another release coming in August and there's a few stuff, um, a few more things down the pipeline. Is there anything you wanted to bring up that we haven't covered or, you know, something that you wanted to have a chat about? No, I mean, yeah, I mean, just thanking people for the support and, and not just the support of us, but the support of metal. I mean, it's my, it's my lifelong passion and I'm just, you know, if someone told me as a as a 12 year old or 13 year old when I was first getting into this sort of music that it would still be around and still be relevant, you know, 30 years on kind of thing, uh, I, I probably wouldn't believe it. Right. Uh, you know, death metal musicians were all, you know, 25 and under back back when it was first a thing. And, you know, now they're pushing 60 or above kind of thing, many of them. And yeah, it's just wild that the, that this is all still around and I, I'm just stoked that people still care about it. So yeah, it's, uh, I'm, yeah, it's pretty awesome. So. And, you know, we were uh, lamenting the internet a bit earlier on, but it does make it a lot easier to keep, um, to keep cultures like this alive, to keep things like this going. And, you know, with the, there's a ton of stuff coming out, but you can also go back and, you know, listen to those classic bands. It's a, a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that uh, it's a renaissance, right? And it probably wouldn't have happened without the without the internet. That you know, uh, all those great albums like Dismember, like an ever flowing stream, that now people are going nuts for, right? That this is uh, something that you know, fifteen year olds and and sixteen year olds are discovering for the first time. I think it's yeah, only possible because of the internet. I think without that, maybe some of this would have gone much further underground than it is but yeah it's pretty cool well i appreciate your time my man i've uh, noticed in the background there we started talking and it was light and now it's, yeah. it's progressively gotten darker and darker as um, yeah. we've had a chat but yeah again i really appreciate your time um thanks for thanks for having a chat to cave dweller music it means a lot yeah thanks for having me and thanks for doing what you do 